6. And this verse is really the summary of the rest of the chapter, but this is a command that Jesus is speaking to us there in, in this verse, as he is in many of the others, and all of the others, I should say. But we start in verse 25. It says, Therefore, I say unto you, Take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on, is not the life more than meat, and the body more than raiment. Now, this one verse right here, uh, with a couple of other commands where Jesus said, don't take two coats, and don't take a sword, and, and uh, don't take a purse with any money in it, as he told his disciples to travel and trust him, have become the uh, scriptural, quote-unquote, basis for the entire monastic movement. Now, that's monastery, monks, and nuns, and abbots, and abbeys, and abbesses, and uh, abscesses, and I mean, no, I'm sorry. Uh, that last one wasn't part of the proper parallelism there, but uh, uh, it, it is incomprehensible what people have done with this verse. And so I've asked some silly questions in our outline tonight just to get us thinking in the wrong direction so we can be warned not to think in that direction. Jesus said, listen, he said, take no thought. Now that word, take no thought, it just simply means take no thought. You're not supposed to think about what you eat, what you drink, and what you put on. So we've asked some questions here. Does this mean that, that we should be beggars and live on the charity of others? Now, most of us know the answer to that. But people have gone to this passage and said, that's the way we ought to live. Uh, we're exemplifying the message of Christ and the purity of Christ by living as beggars. And the, in the medieval ages, they had this uh, entire order of monks called the Begging Friars. And they literally went from house to house and subsisted on what people gave them. Now, there's only one problem with that. If you didn't take care of the monk properly, this was also the time of the Inquisition. And so if you didn't take care of these begging, poverty-stricken friars properly, you might get a visit from their Dominican brothers who would take all of your property and put you in prison and accuse you of not believing in the God of the Catholic Church because you didn't take care of the begging friars well enough. Kind of a, puts a whole different look on the begging friars, doesn't it? And uh, you say, Pastor, you're just being cynical. No, I, I wish I weren't. Uh, I'm being honest with history. This, these things happen. You see, when the devil takes something and perverts the scriptures, it always brings pain, suffering, and slavery. When Jesus gives us a command, it's always for our betterment. How many parents do we have here? How many times have you told your children, this is for your own good? I mean, we're trying to help you out. Now, how many of you have been children at one time out there? That's everybody, all right. And how many times have you heard this is for your own good, both at home and in the classroom. And any person that cared about you at all would say, listen, you'd better straighten up. You can't live life this way. And so when God gives us a command here, he has a purpose. And it is for our own good and it is for our betterment and it will help us. Uh, it does not mean that you can't plan a menu and that you shouldn't shop for more than one day's supply of food. 
Uh, it doesn't mean that you should never coordinate your uh, wardrobe or you should never plan what you might wear. Uh, it doesn't mean any of these things when it says, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor for your body, what ye shall put on. And yet, history is full of people who dressed themselves purposely in rags and lived in little caves as hermits and only ate a handful of wheat every morning and, a, and an ounce of water and just enough food to keep them alive, saying, listen, the Bible says take no thought. But I, I want you to stop and, and think about this for a minute. If I am carefully weighing every ounce of water I drink and carefully planning how much food I allow myself to eat, am I not taking thought for what I'm eating? Now, I don't know if we have any health food nuts here tonight. And if we do, please forgive my rudeness here. But there are some people that take so much care over what they eat that they get ulcers worrying about their food. Now, you're laughing. But it's serious. It does happen. I've read news articles on people. I'm, I read the story about this one guy who lived in New York City who had to raise all of his own food because it had to be just so. And his apartment was full of boxes of grass and dandelion weeds. And Now, I'll tell you, you know, that you can actually go to the grocery and buy dandelion, uh, dandelion greens. And uh, my dad tried to get me to eat that once. I said, Dad, those are weeds. Uh, I'll eat what grows in the garden. Do I have to eat these? And he said, no, you don't. And, and so I didn't. It was one of the few things I was allowed not to eat at our home. And boy, was I glad. Dandelions, yuck. Um, but I want to challenge you today. Do not the Amish people take more thought for their clothes than we do? Because you can't go to the store and buy your basic gray jumper with the black smock that goes over top of it because that would be against their religion. You have to make it at home. That's part of the whole thing. I, I want to challenge you that these people who spend their time telling you they don't take thought for these things are spending more time thinking and more effort than what the Bible tells us, than what Jesus is condemning right here in the Scripture. And, of course, we've met the other extreme. I, I think Brother Dave is telling me his restaurant, the number one rule is you never say no. If somebody wants braised zebra with uh, something else, they're supposed to figure out a way to get it or trick them into thinking that that's what they're eating. Uh, I mean, you have other people who are so extreme on the other end. You know, money is no object. I've never had that problem with you. Uh, they sit there and they just go crazy. And I'll tell you what, it cannot be off the rack. It's got to be tailor-made. Now, I know they say clothes make the man, but let me tell you something. They, they tell you a lot of other lies, too, don't they? Clothes don't make the man. They may make the man appear better or worse, as the case may be. And people do judge you by what you wear and how you appear, but life is more than what you put in your mouth and what you put on your body. Can we say amen to that? 
Now, Jesus here is telling us to take no thought for these things. Esther, that's enough. Turn around and sit still. But I want us to look at some of the other commands in the Scripture. 1 Timothy chapter 5, and we've referred to this Scripture often. And I want to allow enough time to, to just do some reading for you. We don't often go into secular uh, illustrations when there's so many provided right here in the Bible, but uh, I think you'll excuse me for this one tonight, and I think it'll uh, be a blessing to you. But let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8. We want to read these words tonight. But if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith, and is worse than an infidel. Now these verses here are not referring to a father taking care of his children. It's talking about a family taking care of the widows. We're talking about grandmother. We're talking about great aunt Gertrude. We're talking about... Uh, those people who uh, are left destitute by circumstances of this life and need some kind of help. And what was happening here is the church was taking responsibility and it was draining the resources, the finances, and everything of the church. And Paul's saying, now, Timothy, you've got to set this thing up so that the people who need help get it, but the people who don't need help don't get it. We don't want families absolving their God-given responsibility to the church. Now, there's a whole night of preaching right there in that sentence. Why do we have so many problems with children today? Well, back in the 1970s, a bunch of guys got their heads together and they got tired of what was going on in the public schools and Prayer had been taken out of the public schools for 12, 15 years now, and they begin saying, this is ridiculous. Uh, we don't want our kids going to a school where evolution is taught and the Bible is cursed. And so they started the Christian school movement. And a whole lot of parents got the idea that the church was going to raise their kids. And so mom got a job, dad got a job, and everybody left the house because you had to pay the tuition bills and all of this, and nobody was home to raise the kids, uh, I want to challenge you, the church cannot raise your children. We are reaping the benefits of the Christian school movement today. Now, I went to, the, I went to a Christian school. I graduated a Christian school, and I'll tell you, uh, I'm thankful that uh, I didn't have to put up with all that was there, but I, I'll tell you, that's not the answer. The answer is our parents raising their children. You just can't get past that. Somebody said, I'm not qualified to homeschool my children. Can you read? Can you add? Are you going to let your child grow up in your home and leave your home prepared for their own family and not know how to add and do simple math and how to read books? Would you? Uh, that is criminal, my friend. I, I challenge you, no one would, even if you couldn't read yourself, you wouldn't let your children grow up in your house and leave not being able to read, would you? You would do something about that. Listen, that's, that's what we're talking about here. This idea of take no thought does not mean that we don't take care of our families. That is a scriptural mandate. When we raise children that don't know God, we've denied the faith. When we raise children and we teach them, well, listen, we got to give up things so that we can be Christians. Now, if you're talking about television, if you're talking about filthy entertainment, if you're talking about drugs and alcohol and immorality, 
Yes, that ought to be drummed into your children's heads from the time they're able to understand English. These things will destroy you. They're not for Christians. Amen? But there is no verse in the Bible that says your children ought to go hungry for Jesus. There's no verse in the Bible that says your children ought not have, a nor have the things that they need to live. Now, we've got to decide now. Children don't need Game Boys to live. Uh, they don't need cable TV to live. Amen? Uh, Xbox 360, is that the new thing? Well, it's not new anymore. It's old, isn't it? There's something better than that now, I think. Uh, they don't have to have computers and the Internet to live. I mean, how many of us here are over 40 years old? Now, I'm trying to be kind to our ladies, okay? 40 is, is kind of a benign age, isn't it not? I mean, okay, how many are over 20? I'm, I'm, here's the point I'm trying to make. As you go back 40 years, you go, actually go back about 30 or 35 years when we were young, a computer would fill that entire side area of the auditorium. I'm not, I'm not kidding. I'm front to back. And that computer would not, was not capable of doing the calculations that your little scientific calculator can do today. Those were the first computers. It had a card that it printed out the binary language on the card for every little function that it did. And I mean, it, IBM had a computer that filled a, an entire room to do the simplest little things. There was no such thing as the Internet. A lot of these things that we had, they just wasn't, wasn't there. Let me tell you something. Uh, those of you that willingly raised your hands and those of you that lied and kept it down, you're still alive. Amen? That's the point I'm trying to make. We don't have to have all these things. You have to have a cell phone today just to live, right? Does anybody remember the days when the cell phone came in a, in a briefcase? And you had to go to the glass shop and get them to drill a hole through one of your windows to mount an antenna. It cost twelve, fifteen hundred dollars for no frills. Uh, it didn't text. It didn't do anything but make phone calls sometimes. And you had to have it plugged into that antenna on your car. And it cost five dollars a minute to make a phone call. That wasn't that long ago. That's the only cell service you could get in New York City in 1991 when our family moved to New York City. So you know what we did? We ran a hard telephone line out from one of the houses that was very close to us on the church property where we were staying and hooked up a telephone in our bus where we were living in our motorhome uh, because you couldn't, couldn't afford a cell phone. It was ridiculous. It was only for the rich and famous. Now we can't hardly go through a service without one of them silly things going on, off. We're going to have to put a big sign right as you come through. Maybe we'll get that engraved in the, in the lobby doors. Turn off your cell phone. But... Uh, the simple truth is, you don't have to have all of those things to live. Amen? I mean, they're nice. They make life more uh, accessible. They make, they make things easier. They also take away all your free time and don't allow you to think at all. But we have to look at these things. The Bible says you have to provide. Now, let's look at 2 Thessalonians. I'm going to run out of time here. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And Paul is explaining to the Thessalonians 
He said in verse 8, Neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day, that we might be chargeable, not be chargeable to any of you, not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an ensample unto you to follow us. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. Now we've heard those verses. And this country spent at least two generations trying to prove this verse of the Bible was wrong by welfare programs and government assistance and all of these things. They were going to build the ultimate society. Some of you that I've read about that in books, it was basically in the 50s, right after World War II, we're going to build housing projects in the best communities and we're going to take the worst people and put them in there and we're going to have the best neighborhoods and the best people everywhere. Did it work? No. Now I'm a Baptist and the Bible does not teach of any place called purgatory. But I'll tell you some of these housing projects come pretty close. They're, they're awful. The suffering and the, and the slavery and the, and the things that goes on. Because when you don't follow the Bible commands, Jesus isn't, when he says take no thought, he's not saying don't work. He said, listen, you're supposed to work. Look, look, read on down a little further here. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. I wonder if that's Greek for politician. Uh, let's move on. Now them that are such, we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. It's got to be talking about politicians. But brethren, be not weary in well-doing. Now, did you get my little joke about politicians? They want to take your bread and give it to somebody else. And if you object, you're called greedy. That's not what the Bible's saying here when it says, take no thought. The Bible says you ought to work. And that you ought to provide for your family. And that you ought to provide for others. And that you ought to give and, and be faithful in your giving. And God does what? He blesses you for that, doesn't he? It used to be in this nation that the churches were in charge of all of the charity work. There was only one problem. If you were a drunkard and wanted to stay a drunkard, you couldn't get much help from the churches because they had this nasty idea, now we're talking about the Bible-believing churches of different sorts, they had this horrible idea that if you were a drunkard, they ought to help you up out of the gutter and help you stop being a drunkard. Amazing. The government moved in and said, no, that person has a right to be a drunkard and a drug addict, and we're going to help them do that. And we look at what has gone on. You see... Why are you talking about all this? Because, you see, the love of God demands that we do some things. But if you're living just so you can try out the next restaurant and all the dainty foods that's in it, just so you can eat one of those, what are $100 hamburgers? So you can say that you ate one. They actually have such a thing, I think. It might even be more than that. Uh, the, the answer here is if you're living for the things of this world, that's what Jesus is speaking against in this verse. Let's go to 1 uh, Timothy chapter 6. It says, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, verse 5 of 1 Timothy 6, 
perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, the supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Have you ever enjoyed a beautiful meal? And I mean, you, you didn't commit gluttony, but I mean, you filled all the little air spaces there and took advantage of whatever capacity you might have. And then somebody says, oh, I forgot this, and they brought it out. Has that ever happened to anybody? And you go, oh, you're torturing me. There's no room left. If I eat anymore, I'm going to be sick, and I don't want to do that. You see, when you're content, it's awful hard to be tempted. Are we together yet? This is what Jesus is talking about when he says, take no thought. And this is a point I hope to illustrate in just a few minutes when we get there. The love of money is the root of all evil. If you decide you have to have certain things to live, praise God, we live in a society where you're free and you can get those things if you want them. If you want a BMW or a Mercedes-Benz or a Porsche or some real super expensive car, well, maybe not a Porsche. They're hundreds of thousands of dollars. But, I mean, you want a car that's worth $100,000? That is not unattainable for most people. You say, well, what do you mean? Well, listen, you cut your rent. Live in a little one-room apartment. Live in inefficiency. You can... I mean, there are things you can do if that's your goal. I know a man whose whole life was built around owning a Cadillac. He was going to have one. He finally got one. And with it, he got a divorce. And several other things. And a lot, he died a miserable, lonely, old man. And that Cadillac had been put into a storage shed, one of those uh, containers, and had sat there for years because he was too sick to drive it, and it was totally worthless. Let me tell you, if you're going to set your heart on something, now there's some people set their heart on someone. They don't know who that someone is, but I'm going to have one one day. I'm just going to get me one. Husband or a wife, I'm going to get one. Let me tell you something. You'll do better to be lonely and single all your life than to be married to the wrong person for five minutes. Trust me on that one. I've had too many conversations and too many people in the office and tried to Someone said, do you, do you work with marriage problems? Well, only God can solve marriage problems because only God can change hearts, but we try. Do everything we can. But sometimes people set their hearts on things. They say, I've got to have this thing to live. There are some people that set their heart on having children. And when God finally gives them a child, they destroy that child. I've seen it over and over and over again. The Bible says, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee what? The desires of thy heart. He's not going to ever give you your desires. But if you'll delight yourself in the Lord to the point that you adopt His desires, then He'll give them to you. And, and by the way, if they're His desires, 
are you the one that's thinking about them? Are you the one that's taking thought? No, you're not. Because he already has. This is what Jesus means when he says, take no thought. He's saying, will you let me plan and live your life for you? Will you let me make your decisions? Will you trust me with the food you eat, the water you drink, the clothes you put on? This is what Jesus is talking about. You can have just about anything you want in the United States. If you want it bad enough, you'll find a way to get it. But there's an awful high price tag that comes with a lot of that stuff. What was it? Not to be too political, but... uh, I think Mayor Bloomberg's last election was about $120 per vote. Add that up. That's a lot of money. That is insane. And his salary is a dollar a year. Now, he's got the money to burn, but I want you to think about it. There's something else involved there. That's why he's breaking the law and going to make a third term or change the law so he can have a third term. There's, there's some things to be thinking about. We have, a, we have a new patriotism. If you pay higher taxes, you're a better patriot. How many remember that one from the campaign trail? That was compliments of our vice president, Joseph Biden. There's got to be a new patriotism, he said. Some of you are just going to have to pay more taxes. If you love the government, invest it. I'll tell you what, I don't love government. And I don't want to invest in it. I pay my taxes and I recommend everybody pay their taxes. Don't break the law. Only politicians can do that and get away with it. Listen. Here's what Jesus, and by the way, if you spend your whole life trying to think how you're going to get out of this and how you're going to do this and how you're going to replan this and how you're going to invest in this, what have you done? You've just disregarded the entire heart of what this verse is talking about. Amen? Now, as I was reading these passages and thinking this, and and I just want to ask a couple questions real quick. What makes your life worth living? If you lost something, would you stop living? If you lost, there are people that have killed themselves because they've lost their jobs. There are people that have regularly, you'll hear papers, uh, stories in the papers and on the news that my boyfriend dumped me, so I wrote him a nasty note and went out and took a bunch of aspirin. Uh, I mean, people kill themselves because other people break relationships. It's, it's a fearful world. What will stop you from living? Jesus asked the question. Here, here, let's go back to Matthew 6. He says, Is not life more than meat? and the body more than raiment. Is not your life more than what you put in your mouth and what you have to have to keep living? Is your body more than just clothes? I mean, how many of you have ever been to a funeral? Do they dress the dead Nasty, ill-fitting clothes that don't look very good. No, everybody looks good at, in the casket. Now, don't. I mean, they, they do their best to make them look really, really good, don't they? Why do they do that? Because 
it's comforting to us that are alive to know that they're well taken. Some people get better taken care of at their funeral than any other time in their life. It's scary how these things go on. But no matter, if you, if you put on a $1,200 handmade shirt, that's what they told me Jesse Jackson pays for his, and then the suits and everything. I mean, you could easily spend ten dollars or $20,000 on an outfit. And ladies, you could do the same thing. But it won't bring a dead corpse back to life, now will it? I imagine they're going to get Mikey all dressed up for his funeral. I imagine it's going to be something. But it's not going to bring him back to life. The body's more than what you put on it. Your life is more than what you can hold in your hands. And if you spend your whole life thinking about what you can hold in your hands and what you can hang in your closet, Jesus is saying here, you don't have the right master, you don't have the right light, and you don't have the right treasure. That's what he's talking about here. That's why he said, therefore, it's connected to the three things that are in front of it. If, if your heart is set on anything other than the Lord Jesus Christ, for to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now, I'd like to see if we couldn't get some copies of this book. We'll have to look it up for our bookstore. How many here have heard of one of our founding fathers, Francis Marion? How many know that name? Probably because you heard it here at church, right? This is part of his life story. And uh, what I'd like to do is just read... A couple of pages here, uh, because I can't summarize it any better than it is in the book here. And um, just to put it in context, this was in the middle of the Revolutionary War. Francis Marion was a general. That was his official title. He had anywhere between 60 and 200 men under him. They lived in the swamps of the Carolinas. And they conducted guerrilla warfare against General Cornwallis and the main body of the, uh, of the British troops. And this story came about as one of the British officers was parlaying for an exchange of prisoners. And so in order to do that, he had to meet actually face-to-face -face with General uh, uh, Marion. And I'm just going to read the story here. When Marion had, had read the messenger's letter, he speedily arranged for the exchange to be made. The Englishman was about to leave. Oh, no, said Marion. This is about our hour for dining, and I hope, sir, that you will give us the pleasure of your company to dinner. At the mention of the word dinner, the Englishman's mouth watered, for he was hungry. His comrades had been placed on short rations, and he thought, as did many, that the patriots were living on the fat of the land. But when he looked round, he could see nothing but the potatoes which the men were roasting. No pot or pan, Dutch oven, or any cooking utensils, whatever. But he accepted the invitation, for he was hungry. Come, Tom, said the general to one of the men. We have a guest for dinner today. Let us have it soon. Tom was not long in preparing dinner, for it consisted only of a heap of sweet potatoes that were very snugly roasting under the embers. Tom, with his pine stick poker, deftly released the potatoes from the ashes, pinching them to see if they were sufficiently roasted. Then he cleansed them of the ashes by blowing them, and if that was not sufficient, he brushed the skins with the sleeve of his ragged cotton shirt. The largest and finest potatoes he placed on a piece of bark 
and put on a tree stump between the English officer and Marion. The red coat looked at the dinner and involuntarily sighed. I fear, sir, that this is not as good a dinner as you are in the habit of eating, but it is the best I have to offer. The officer bowed and took up one of the potatoes and tried to eat it as though it were a great dainty, but without salt or butter it did not taste good to him. Hungry as he undoubtedly was, the dry potato was too much for him, and he laid it down, his face becoming as bright as his coat. I was just thinking, he said, how long our men would stand this kind of fare if the government offered it. I suppose it is not equal to your usual style of dining, said Marion. No, by Jove. We are on short rations now, but we do get meat and often soup, and sometimes the boys get plumbed up as a dessert. But this is only an accident. An accident? Yes, a Lenten dinner, or as we say in England, a, a banyan. You do not always live like this. No, generally worse, answered the general, for often we do not get enough even of potatoes. Great Jupiter, exclaimed the Englishman, but perhaps, as we say, what you lose in meal you gain in malt, and in other words, though half starved you draw noble pay. Not a cent, sir, replied Marion, not a cent. By Jove, how do you stand it? It is a matter of principle, sir. Principle be hanged. Do you think King George could get enough men to do all the fighting and not draw any pay and get nothing to eat but potatoes? I'll be hanged if he could. It was then Marion showed his true greatness. His swarthy face lightened up as the Englishman had not seen it before. Why, sir, answered Marion, the heart is all. If King George possessed your hearts, you would fight cheerfully even on a potato diet. No, no, General Marion, that I must deny. When a man is interested, he will do and suffer anything. Many a youth would think it hard to be indentured at a trade for 14 years, but let him be overheard and overhead, I'm sorry, and ears in love with such a beauteous sweetheart as Rachel. He will think no more of 14 years' service than did Jacob. That is just my case. I am in love. You in love, General, asked the Englishman. Yes, I am in love, and I have the most beautiful sweetheart. Her name is Liberty. Be that beauteous nymph my companion, and these wilds and woods have charms beyond London or Paris in slavery. To have no proud monarch driving over me with his gilt coaches, nor his host of excise men and tax gatherers insulting and robbing me, but to be my own master, my own prince and sovereign, gloriously preserving my national dignity and pursuing my true happiness, planting my vineyards and eating the luscious fruits, sowing my fields and reaping the golden grain, and seeing millions of brothers all around me equally free and happy as myself. This, sir is what I long and fight for. The English officer had seldom listened to such eloquence, simple but grand, earnest and persuasive. As a man and a Briton, I must say your picture is a happy one. Happy, quoth Marion, yes, happy indeed. And I would rather fight for such blessings for my country and feed on roots than keep aloof the wallowing in all the luxuries as Solomon could be so. No, sir. I walk the soil that gave me birth, and I exult in the thought that I am not unworthy of it. I look upon these venerable trees around me and feel that I do not dishonor them. I think of my sacred rights and rejoice that I have not basely deserted them. And when I look forward, sir, to the long ages of posterity, I glory in the thought that I am fighting their battles." The children of distant generations may never hear my name, but still it gladdens my heart to think that I am now contending for their freedom and all its countless blessings. Can I just say something? Don't swallow the slop that's being offered today as freedom and sacrifice for your country. Sacrifice 
for your country is not allowing them more power and more position in your life. The men that founded this country fought for freedom, not for enslavement to the government. They had what they needed to fight the war, and that's all they cared about. They didn't always eat potatoes, but were more than willing to live on them so that they could keep fighting the cause for freedom. If we would allow the love of our Savior to consume us, as the love of liberty did General Marion, we wouldn't have any time left over to think about what we're going to eat or what we're going to wear. Because our desire would be to serve our Savior. That's what Jesus means when he said, take no thought. You ought to work, because if you don't, you can't serve your Savior. You're denying his word. You have to provide for your family, because this book tells you to. You have to be a father that stays at home and spends time with his children, because that's what this book says a father ought to do. Amen? By the way, it says the same thing for mothers. Only they have a lot more responsibility in the home than the father does. You know, this book tells us that we ought to be doing what we're doing tonight. Sometimes I get a little frustrated and overwhelmed with some of the work that has to be done. But let me tell you why we do the work. We do the work around here so that we can have room for more people and not put our church in slavery to indebtedness. We just don't have half a million dollars sitting in the bank that we don't know what to do with, and I don't think we ever will because there's too many missionaries that need it. Amen? But God's given us everything we need to buy the supplies and get the work done. And I'd rather work part-time as a contractor for the church than to work part-time driving bus or cab or working in an office so that we could hire somebody to do the work and then have to come in and redo half of it. If I'm going to redo anybody's messes, I'll redo my own. Amen? This is why we do what we do. Are we consumed with the love of Christ to the point that our life is not consumed with worry of what's going to happen tomorrow? That's what Jesus means when he says, take no thought. How many people have worried themselves into an early grave preparing for something that never happened? How many is old enough to remember the bomb shelters? They advertised them in the 40s and the 50s. Once Russia built the bomb, everybody was building a bomb shelter in their backyard. What they didn't tell you was, if there was really a nuclear attack, your bomb shelter wasn't going to do you one little bit of good. And by the way, if it would, somebody bigger than stronger than you is going to take it from you. Don't spend your life trying to figure out how you're going to take care of it when it happens. Think about Jesus. Be consumed with him. And when it comes time to suffer, guess what? There's a lot of promises in this book that will tell you that he'll take care of you through the suffering. Amen? Take no thought. Because every thought you take away from Jesus is just going to lead you into more temptation and farther away from him. 
Now, by the way, this was not addressed to clergy or pastors. One of the great sins in the Bible is the division between clergy and laity. We're all the same. I have the same salvation that you do. You have the same salvation that Peter does. Read his epistles. We need to serve God without being consumed with what's going on in this world. And there's never been a time when God has not provided what needed to be provided. Amen? I mean, you're sitting in a building. It's proof of that. When we needed $150,000, $150,000 did show up. So why doesn't it show up today? We don't need it today. We just need enough money to keep going and buying all the stuff. And, and let me tell you that it's there. We're not going to take any special offerings. We don't need to. Our missions is going out. God's blessing. We're still working. But don't take it easy. Don't let somebody else do it for you. Do what God's told you to do. And when we all serve him, man, he makes it work. By the way, this is the way we all ought to live. The problem is we're too busy taking thought for things that God will take care of. I think you got the point. I mean, I could go on all night, but I won't. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would burn in our hearts and in our minds. And Lord, we're thank you, thankful for the testimony of patriots like Marion Francis, who was willing to endure such hardness and terrible situations in such uh, being, uh, uh, losing all of these benefits that might and should have been his, that he might serve the cause of liberty. Yet, Lord, there was no sacrifice in his mind, only the pursuit of liberty. Lord, I pray that there would be no sacrifice in our mind when we turn loose of these things which occupy so much of our time and our effort and our love and focus ourselves completely on Jesus. Lord, we'll be better at work if we love you more. We'll be better in the home if we love you more. We'll be better at everything we do if we love you more. We ask that you would help us to see the great truth in this verse and in the verses to follow over the next several weeks. We ask that you would change the heart of our people and of our church. That we would not allow ourselves to be detoured to either extreme, but that we would be extreme in our love and our adoration for our Savior. In your name we pray. And before we finish that prayer, just have joy you play a hymn. And if you need to come and pray, just encourage you to step out of your seat.